I think I'm here. Am I there? Am I too loud? No? Okay. I, I speak loud, so we'll see how, I don't want to bust your eardrums out. And also, I get really excited when I open up God's Word. It's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting thing to be able to, to read and to uh, come together and to um, uh, basically celebrate in it. And so this morning, uh, if we can, I'm going to uh, pray once again, if we can. And uh, let us pray in regards to this word that we will look at here in a few minutes. And uh, yeah, let's just do that. And then we'll continue on uh, this morning uh, together in such fashion. So let's, let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us as we've already prayed this morning, some of us several times, that you would take away all distraction from our minds, Lord God, that we would be able to sit where we are, Lord, and hear your word. And Lord, I pray that your word would not go void, that it would, that it would not return void. Lord, I pray that you would help it to germinate in our souls, our mind, our spirit, Lord God. A deeper love for you, a desire to see you glorified in Lord God as your children. So I pray this morning that you would speak where man cannot speak and that you can do what man cannot do. May we get out of the way so as to hear from you this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, here I am. I guess you could say this is officially starts my first day at work, right? Yeah, yeah. So some of you in the office probably would not agree with that, but uh, you who are here, and uh, this is my first Sunday, so I'm excited to be here. I haven't been able to preach in about a month, so you're in trouble, all right? And so this morning, if you have your uh, Bibles, uh, go ahead and, and get those ready this morning. We will be in First John, First uh, John, and go ahead and get used to First John. We will be going through First John for the next couple of weeks uh, into months as we unpack this book together. Uh, this morning, I just kind of want to give you a bit of an introduction. Typically, when I start a new series, specifically a book of the Bible, I give an introduction of that book, and it becomes more or less a bit of uh, information. This morning, I'm going to give a little bit of information, but we're going to go ahead and dive right into the Bible this morning, if that's okay. Is that okay? So we're going to do that this morning. But before I do that, I do want to give a bit of introduction. I want to, you to understand this morning is a, basically a wetting the whistle, so to speak, of this book. My prayer is that through the introduction this morning that I will have grabbed your attention, that the, that the Word of God would have grabbed your attention, that hopefully, my prayer is, I mean, goodness, can you imagine me wanting you to be bored over God's Word? No, that you would be excited and exuberant about the things that we're getting ready to look at together in the next couple weeks together as we step through it. So today we are starting this series through the first John, uh, first, uh, first John together. And I want you to know that First John is a very interesting book in the sense that it is highly practical. So we're going to open this up, and basically First John can say to you where you're sitting, even in the 21st century, pay attention. There's something that you can learn from this book that is highly practical. It shares a practicality with another book of the Bible in the New Testament called the book of James. Some of y'all know of the book of James. These are very how-to and what-to-do type books. However, 1 John is a little bit different than James in the sense that 1 John, specifically John as he writes 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, he has a little bit more of a, um, a theological prowess about it. It's a little doctrinal, more, more than the book of James is. So it actually teaches some things as well. And so I want you to understand the reason possibly, and I would say actually, for the reason why John does this in his epistle. 
The book of 1 John, if you haven't already, already understood, and you probably already know this already, is written by the Apostle John. One of the three premier apostles or disciples of Jesus Christ, Peter, James, and John, his inner circle, the one in whom is known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Isn't that funny that he named himself that? That's pretty, pretty neat. Hey, Jesus loves me. I'm the apostle that Jesus loves. All right? This is him. This is John. And the book of 1 John was written somewhere between 50 and 60 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So what you have before you is John in old age, and he's older now. And if you look at the the book of 1 John, it's laid out, he says a lot, my little children, throughout the entire uh, book. And it has a familial feel to it, almost like a grandfather who wants to impart some sort of knowledge or wisdom to his younger grandchildren before he departs. And John has that feel to it. And another reason why he wants to impart something is because of two things, two specific things that were attacking the church at this time during this point in which he writes it. And those are two issues I wish for you to know real quick in introduction. Issue number one, John writes this because of false teaching and false teachers. You see, already by this time, false teachings concerning the nature of Christ and the gospel were already becoming present in the church. And one such false teaching was known or would become to be known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Now, I'm going to tell you really quickly what Gnosticism taught and step through it and get off of it. Is this cutting in and out? Is it? It's all right. I bet you still hear me, can't you, though? I figured you could. Online, I'm sorry, but you, you're going to be okay, all right? All right, you're going to be, unless a meteor comes, you're going to be okay. Gnosticism, and I want you to know a couple things that Gnosticism taught. It believed that the creator of the universe was not a supreme being, but a lower being, and believed God to be unknowable. I mean, there's some things you might know about God, but ultimately, he's unknowable. You can't comprehend and know him. They also believed that Jesus was merely a man who attained his divinity through knowledge. That's the word gnosis, agnostics, come from the word knowledge. That you could attain a certain enlightenment and wisdom, and it would actually help you to attain, to, be, to know God, or in some senses, kind of be like him. Others taught that Jesus was not ever truly human, and only gave the appearance of being so. Holy Spirit, he only gave the appearance of being human. Now, what I want you to know is that both of them, regardless of what they believed, whether he was divinity and we could arrive to him by knowledge, or he wasn't, he was all divine but not human, both did not believe in and did not hold to the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That God is fully man and at the same time fully God. They said that this cannot be. And they believed that the scriptures had a deep and hidden meaning that could only be understood by, where's Nikki at? Nikki, you here? Secret, secret, see the quotes? Secret knowledge. That somehow or another by just sitting here and just contemplating that, oh, oh, now I just sat underneath this tree and figured it all out. Something that is not pointed to, it's it's just simply got by growing in your own wisdom and knowledge. Now, I want to give you two practicalities of this heresy, this false teaching that was entering into the church that John is going to be addressing. One, practical offshoots of this Gnosticism. 
They believe that knowledge, as we've already said, came through uh, enlightenment. And the way in which enlightenment came was through works. Now, what I want you to know is this. What do you mean by works, Kyle? It means this. If I have a lot of money, I give all my money away, and I become what? Poor. Through poverty. Through the absence of certain things. If I, if I love food, I'll stop eating. I abstain from food. Maybe it's, uh, 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 maybe it's in the, on par of, of sexual relationships. I, I abstain from those things. Almost like a monastic, kind of a monkish uh, sort of understanding that if I deplete myself of all my earthly wants and desires and passions, then I will be more like God. What this has went off to is oftentimes you see this uh, finding its way in Roman Catholicism. And even to this day, there are roots from that. Do this, don't do this. You know, uh, if you're a good Christian, you do this. But sometimes if you're a really great Christian, you don't do other things. By not doing and not having, you will obtain somehow this enlightenment. Second offshoot. And they believed that the body and spirit were separate. And this old thing, this old bag of bones is all bad. But the inner light in me, my spirit is good. And it doesn't really matter what this bag of bones does as long as my spirit is right with God. In other words, that led to a cheap grace sort of Christianity or belief that basically said that God's gospel of grace covers you to the point that you can live like the devil and live like the world and be carnal in nature and you're just okay because your soul is clean. Sadly, both of these dangers... These, these dangerous lies can still be found in much of the Christian landscape today. Both of them are dangerous. Both of them are false without power. They do not hold water. And the book of John, the apostle, uh, the apostle John says, hold up, not so fast, wait one minute. Which leads to what I want you to understand is the major theme of 1 John. The major theme of 1 John is the deity of Jesus Christ. That he is God. Jesus and not inner knowledge. Jesus and not your works or the things that you abstain from. Jesus as Lord and not merely as a great teacher. Jesus as both God and man. Which leads and bleeds into the issue. That's issue one and issue two. And we'll be done with introduction, okay? Issue two. Not only is he uh, going after false teaching within the church, he is also seeking to set apart the notion of false conversion. False conversion. Those who believe that they are walking with Jesus, but they live licentious lifestyles or worldliness that doesn't even look like anything that Christ stands for. John is saying, not so fast. Not only does John have a desire for people to understand Jesus rightly and in truth, However, he is also concerned, due to the great many falsehoods that these teachers were throwing out there, that people would truly know what it meant to savingly, savingly follow Jesus Christ in order to be truly redeemed and saved. This forms a great deal of how this book is laid out. John gives the reader what has been called a litmus test of the Christian life. Now, this is really cool. This is what I can't wait to do week in and week out until we're done with the book. The first John is so, it, it's, it's, like, it's like perfectly laid out. Because guess what's in first John? Ten tests. 
John says, hey, do you know Christ and do you live like you know Christ? And if you, if you don't know if you know Christ and if you don't think you live like Christ, if you're kind of confused, here's 10 tests. Take these tests to figure out if you truly are in the faith. And so that is why we come to Prove It. That's the name of the series. I want you to know why we named it Prove It. Prove It is take these tests to prove whether or not you truly are in Christ. It will be our endeavor to unpack these tests in the coming months as to work out, as it says in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation, brothers and sisters, with what? Fear and trembling. I didn't say that. The book of Philippians did. And I want you to know what, I, what the pastor did not say. I did not say that I want you to look at 1 John and doubt your salvation. That's different. Doubting it's different. I'm saying pick up the Bible, use 1 John as a litmus test and say, am I truly what I think that I claim to be and do I truly know who Jesus Christ is? That's all I'm saying. Test this thing out. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says of the human heart, it is desperately sick above all things. Who can understand it? I don't even understand myself half the time. I open up the Bible and the Bible tells me things I don't like to hear about me. But oftentimes in the gospel of grace, I come to learn and love what it says about Jesus. And because of that, I like what it says about me. So what I want you to understand is this. This book is relevant through the history of the church, and it is for sure relevant for the church in our own day. In a day and age where many people work, and they work out their salvation through works, religion. Do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. And at the end of days, maybe God is going to look at me and say, you know what, he was a pretty swell guy. And I'll accept him. On the other side of that is this hyper sheep grace sort of a thing where it's a quasi, you know, like, you know, God loves me. I said a prayer, asked in my heart, signed a card, put it away, never doubted, and now I'm going to do whatever I want. As the Epicureans used to say, eat, sleep, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. As if that's the whole entirety of this life, even in Christ. So, let's get to it. How about that? Enough. Introduction is finished. Let's get into some God's word this morning. Let us look together at the first five verses in the book this morning as it starts off our series through the book of 1 John. So, something that you're going to get in the habit, hopefully, of doing. You don't have to stand if you don't want to. But why don't we stand in reverence of this word this morning together as we read together. First John 1 through 4 actually says there, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Amen? Amen. Let us be seated again. This morning from the text, 
There are three things specific. Oh, watch this, watch this. Boop, I'm online now. You see that? I love millennials. They help me. My wife will tell you I'm a millennial. She's lying. There are three truths from this text that I wish for us to unpack to see this morning as we uh, look at its uh, words and, uh, and what it says on Scripture there on, on our pages. It says this. The three truths from the text are these. God is knowable. You're going to see this in verses 1 through 3a. You will see, number two, knowing God is the source of true Christian fellowship. Knowing God is the source of all uh, Christian fellowship. See that in 3b. And number three, a knowable God is the source of the church's joy. We'll see this in verse 4 together. So if you have your Bibles in front, we will go ahead and we will look at number one. God is knowable. God is knowable there in 1 through 3a. And what you see before you is that John is saying to those false teachers, what do you mean Get God cannot truly be known? Listen, I have heard God speak. I have beheld his power. I have looked into his face, earthly speaking, of course, and I have touched his nail-scarred hands. I.e., what this means is John is saying, I know who God is, and his name is Jesus. That is what John is saying. You false teachers keep telling people about Jesus as if you were at the party. John says, hey, I was at the party, and I never saw you there. I was at the punch bowl, and you never were getting a sip. I walked with Jesus every day of his earthly ministry, and I never saw you loitering about. John says, you show me your credentials in explaining Jesus, and I will show you mine. What I love concerning this section of of 1 John is how experiential John is in declaring Jesus. Look with me in the text. Look what he says over again. He says, which we have, look, heard which we have seen, which we have looked upon, it says in our text, which we have touched. John says, listen, this is not rumor. This is not conjecture. This is not my opinion. I know him. I know him. The word seen in our text, it actually means to look as to learn The word means to gaze at something for a time as to understand it. It means to behold something for a period of time as to know it. To sit and study something as to know something. As to be acquainted. I sit and stare at a painting. I look at every little nuance and little thing. And after a while, I became really well acquainted with the painting. I know who wrote, I mean, who drew the painting. I know uh, what maybe the background of the painting was. I know what it was trying to uh, convey. John says, I have seen Jesus as to study him, as to know him personally, acquainted with him. Then then John gives a few titles of this close, knowable Jesus. Look what else it says in our text. This Jesus, whom he has heard, whom he has seen, which he has touched with his very own hands, he calls from the beginning. He says that he is the word of life in our text. He is the son of the father. This Jesus in whom I know, God. 
what he's saying. It's Jesus in whom I know is God. To know God is to know Jesus. To know Jesus is to know God. And I would put there as finite beings, of course. We don't know God entirely in his being infinite. But we can know him as to know him savingly. We can know God in a way as to know him savingly. And this is the thing. John says you cannot get to God through your works. You will not get to God by your inner study, that mystic sort of wisdom and intellect. You get to God through Jesus Christ. And to get to God through Jesus Christ, if to do that, you had better know Jesus rightly and correctly. And you better know him well. To know Jesus in his character. To know Jesus in his nature. Yes, not to miss the incarnation as some were doing at this time. Brothers and sisters, let me make it real to us in this room this morning. Jesus has not left himself up for interpretation here. John will not let his people, these people, follow a personal Jesus without being pointed to the true Christ in whom he knew and whom the scriptures speak. Jesus nor John will allow anyone to come to God through Christ in speculation. No, no. John will not allow you to sit where we sit and say, to me, God is like. John will not allow you to say, for me, Jesus is. John says, "Uh uh-uh. He is because I know him to be. He will not allow us to walk around with a personal Jesus. He points us to Jesus. Now we need to get in line and figure out how we will respond to that. That is what John is doing for us. John, what we have seen, he says, what we have heard, what we have touched, and if you look really quickly, and we're going to go on to our next point, he says, and had been made manifest. Made manifest. The word manifest in our text means readily perceived by the senses, and especially by the sense of sight. It also means easily understood or recognized by the mind. And what he's saying is, this Jesus whom we've seen, whom we've heard, which we've touched, he's been manifest to us, but you've got to understand, he's been made manifest to us. And he says, this God, this Jesus who's been made manifest to us, we proclaim to you also. You see, while ultimately the only secret knowledge, if there is any sort of secret knowledge, as to love and accept God and Christ as he is, comes by way of the the power of the Holy Spirit, sure. That's outside of us, and I would agree with that. That comes from outside of us. That's a work of God. If there's anything secret, it's that. But that's not very secret. You know why? Point to it. We tell people in the gospel that even though God is making manifest, nonetheless, the message of salvation of Christ is a proclaimed message, meaning it can be pointed to. It's not up in the air somewhere as to somehow uh, uh, lollygag or skip down the, the yellow brick road trying to figure this thing out. We can point to it and say, there it is. Better yet, there he is. Christian, for those of us who know Christ, his nature his grace, his mercy in the gospel, we are to proclaim this truth to others. In all actuality, our declaring and proclaiming it is in and of itself a litmus test of those who know him, who understand him. God makes manifest, sure, 
And we are to point to what we know that's been made manifest to us. Uh, you know, I watched Davy last week share 15 pictures of his little baby, right? I bet you, I bet you, I bet you no one made him do that. I bet you if you're in like Walmart and you're in the line, in the checkout line, if you're like my grandma, my mom, for instance, with her grandchildren, I've never had to teach my mom how to brag about her grandkids. You know that? She's never taken a six-week course on how to brag about your grandkids. And she's obnoxious. Have I showed you a picture of my grandbabies? No one cares, mom. Right? But Nick doesn't stop her. She knows them. She loves them. She wants everyone else to know about them. Brothers and sisters, do we know Jesus Christ? Do we know him savingly? The question I ask is, do we that which was made manifest to us by the grace and mercy of God, we have the honor, nay, the privilege of pointing other people to him. Amen? The light has come on for us. It's been made manifest John says, I hear what these false teachers are teaching. I hear what you are beginning to believe, and I love you all. And if I truly love God, then I must proclaim to you the truth for God's glory and for your good. And I got here in my notes, transition, which means that we need to be led to the next point. All right? Y'all like how that goes? Watch this. Boom. Boom. Knowing God is a source of of our fellowship. It, and I even put it here a little longer. It didn't fit on, on the PowerPoint. Knowing God is the source of true Christian fellowship. Now, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble in this one, okay? Well, I might. I might. I hope not. But I fear God and I do not fear man. 3B, if you look with me in the text. Verse 3 says, So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Everyone today is, seems to be trying to make Christian community as if we can in the church create it somehow. We, we hear all the time things like give people a task in the church. If you make them busy, they'll get involved and they'll be at your church longer. To that I say, number two, congregate around a shared political party or a niche we're the homeschool church. We're the church that doesn't like vaccinations. We do this or we do that. Gather around a p- political identity or a thinking, a thought that goes outside the framework of the scripture alone. To that I say, church traditions. I like it like this. They like it like that. And we're going to find our commonality and our togetherness in the way it was done 40 years ago. Or we're going to find our commonality and our love for each other for the way that we're changing quickly to keep, keep up with, with changing times. Number four, entertainment and the whims of the culture. Look, if we, if we make Jesus cool enough, if the pastor looks a certain way, if our programs are just bumping and thumping and they're better than the church down the road, we'll be just fine. For that. You know what's coming? You see, every single one of those that I just mentioned sadly has found its way into the modern church. And it may even be found in this church. It may. And I need you to know something. All of that which I just spoke to you, 
said is a me-focused, consumer-driven in nature church reality. And it has nothing to do with what Jesus Christ ever died for in the redeemed of his people. And they will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another, even on the days you disagree, on the secondary and tertiary things. But you have better, better get right me and the glory of my name. Amen? Do not touch my gospel. Do not touch my nature. For the church, our unity is to be built upon our knowing and understanding God and our seeking to glorify him and our proclaiming and declaring him, listen, together. Our unity and identity are to be gospel-saturated and God-focused from its very core. Therefore, having a wrong understanding of God, Jesus, the nature of sin as some of the Gnostics had, and a confusion as to the nature of conversion in the gospel. Such actually serve as legitimate, listen to me, barriers to true Christian fellowship. They serve as barriers to the very thing that James is desiring for the church to have. Question. So why does John proclaim to these believers this truth? And it says there in our text that they may have what? Fellowship with them. The meaning, John says that they may have fellowship with us. And then he goes on to say, and I say, I would ask the second question. Okay, John, you want them to have fellowship with you, meaning the apostles, disciples of Jesus Christ. The second question is why? Well, he says it there in our text. Because their fellowship, meaning the apostles, is with the Father through Jesus Christ. I want you to have fellowship with us because we have fellowship with God. That's why. And the word fellowship is very, very important in our text this morning. It means koinonia. The word means in Greek, partnership. It means association. Literally, it means participation. And what I want you to know about partnership, what I want you to understand about association and participation is in the Christian church, it always means partnership in the same direction. Not partnership with a couple over here and a couple over here and a couple over here within the church going 15 different directions that you may have fellowship with us, the apostles. We have a laser beam focus. That's God's glory and the salvation of souls. And that your fellowship may not only be with us in that endeavor, but will ultimately be with God in whom you need to know in such saving fashion. This is what John has. This is why I say that true Christian fellowship, partnership, is derived in and foundational upon people knowing and understanding Christ and their celebration and passion for his glory in the gospel together. Trying to build a Christian church, a community around anything other than this focus and this reality is no less dangerous. Listen, than trying to build such a community around the very dangerous heresies and the teachings of these false teachers even in John's day. Listen, church, I don't know many of you yet. Whether you're a Christian for 25 years, maybe, you haven't, maybe you're not a Christian at all. The question that we need to ask of everyone in this room who has partnered with us together at this church is do you know Christ? Do you have an appetite for his glory? Do you desire to be used of God unto that glory? And do you do it together with joy? That's it. 
trying to build a church around all these other things. Brothers and sisters, anything else other than these things are merely temples made by man in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Old Testament has a little word for that. It's called idolatry. This is not a temple made by man's hands for the privilege of man. This place should be a temple unto the glory of God and all that he has done in us. And we serve him in gratitude for our souls and our souls' delight. Brings me to my last point. Oh, yeah, let me get professional. There you go. Number three. Finally, a noble God is the church's joy. A noble God is the source of the church's joy. We see this in verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John's joy is tied to Christ's glory being represented well and rightly. And in the knowledge of Christ being known and understood by others savingly. And this should be so for, this should be for all believers And I pray this is the aim of this church. I pray that this is the aim of College Acres in her life and ministry to a watching and dying world. This is one reason why church membership is so important. This is the reason why Dan Mullis and I have been scurrying over church membership process for literally like 16 hours, crying and weeping and gnashing teeth. Brothers and sisters, church membership is important for this very reason. Through that process... We as pastors specifically, right now, Dan and myself, we simply get a chance to learn if God, as he is and not as he's perceived, is understood and taught by those who call themselves members or partners with those at College Acres. Remember, going in the same direction. And to make sure that we celebrate together in life and ministry, worship the Savior together. You need to know something about Dan and myself and maybe others that are coming, we pray. We will give an answer on the day of judgment in a way that none of you else will. The way that we shepherded souls. The, way, the things that we said, how we said them, things that we did not say, and the reasons why we did not say them. That makes me tremble as I take this podium and realize that none of you are scaring me this morning. But to stand before God and Him say, not say, well done, good and faithful servant, is enough to make me want to get it right. And we must get it right in the church. Have you looked around? The church culturally is not doing so well. That's okay. The church of Jesus Christ is doing just fine. Because He is building her, His church. He is building His church. And we need shepherds who shepherd people to understand that He is building His church. That's why I will not lose sleep today over why people do or do not come here. In some sense. Oh, I'll lose sleep. But it's not because we invented some way to get them here outside the scope of the gospel and God's means to reach them. Amen? That's where I do not lose sleep. I believe in old things. I believe in old things. And what I mean by that is that old fogey thing called The Bible matters. The gospel means something. Conversion is real. Jesus Christ is still doing miracles today. 
I'm going to take him at his word. As the old missionary once said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. I'm just that idiot believes that. I believe that. And that is what we're going to be endeavoring to do the next several weeks together. In months, through this series, let us with John take the test. Let us study together with John as to better prove ourselves. Not doubt. Let's prove. Just sit and be still with God's word. And we make sure that everything that we claim with our mouth is backed up with a pattern of life that says, not only with my words have I met Jesus, but by my lifestyle proves that I know and have encountered him. What better thing can the church be about in this day and age than these things? Which brings me to my conclusion. So, this morning I ask a question. Wherever you are this morning, all the love I can muster, do Christ. And does your life and passion establish that you are also known by him? These are the questions John desires for the church to understand and to know. And the answers to these questions for John are be the foundation of all true Christian fellowship and community. Brothers and sisters, music team, you can come on up if you will. Let me just say this in closing. My prayer is that we are building this church on the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word. Amen? And that is our joy, our privilege to glorify him in such manner. And let the world see us do it. Let's be weird. Yes, let's be weird. Have you ever seen weird things? Some people can't stop looking at weird things. Let the world look at us, look at us and go, what the world is wrong with those people? And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples by the way in which you love one another. And ultimately, that love for one another, for us in the church, comes by way of a trickle-down economics of God's grace and mercy in the gospel for all of us. So guess what? We as Christians should be the most compassionate, the most kind, the most long-suffering people who know how to love well because we in the gospel have been loved well. Amen? And let us never forget it. Let us sing today. Yeah.